Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. China's property sector suffered an additional beating this week as Kaisa Group made a desperate plea for help, other Chinese property developers began to shake, and the US Federal Reserve sent its first direct warning about potential global contagion. So first up, the Federal Reserve released their semi-annual report on financial stability this Monday. And in it, the Fed pointed specifically to the crisis at Evergrande, China's most indebted developer, warning that China's ongoing property woes could elevate financial stresses in China, which could further strain global financial markets and negatively affect the United States. Evergrande, as we know, sparked fears of contagion back in September when they warned that they might default on debts of more than $300 billion. Since then, we've seen that several other large Chinese property developers are also in trouble. And as we'll discuss in a moment, the panic seems to be spreading to the less leveraged developers too. The Federal Reserve warned that given the size of China's economy and financial system and its global ties, financial stresses in China could strain global financial markets through a deterioration of risk sentiment, pose risks to global economic growth and affect the United States. Now, this is quite a change for the Fed, as Jerome Powell said back in September, that the debt problems of Evergrande seem particular to China and that there's not a lot of direct United States exposure. A big deadline for Evergrande occurs today when the grace period ends for $3 bond coupons that sum up to $148 million. Evergrande missed the initial interest deadlines last month and the 30-day grace period runs out today. There's been no indication that Evergrande will miss this payment and missing it could trigger cross-default clauses amongst their $19.2 billion of outstanding dollar notes and give creditors more room to negotiate. It's a little bit surprising at the time of this recording that there's been no news of a wire transfer, but that could still happen today. Evergrande and Beijing seem to be managing the company's struggles under a bit of a veil of secrecy, allowing Evergrande to meet some payment deadlines without explaining exactly how it's being done. Evergrande did raise around $145 million in recent days by selling a roughly 5.7% stake in Hong Kong-listed Heng Ten Networks Group over the last three trading days, according to their regulatory filings. Apart from Heng Ten, Evergrande also sold its UK-based electric motor-making business, Protein, in the last week. This should scrape together enough cash to make this payment. But of course, the dollar-denominated bondholders are not the only people looking for money from Evergrande. More than a million home buyers in China are waiting for unfinished apartments, and the company may owe money to just as many construction workers, painters, landscapers, and other employees. It's worth noting that these Chinese property companies have two sets of bond obligations, which are very different from each other. 
The onshore bonds are local currency denominated and the offshore bonds are dollar denominated. The offshore dollar denominated bonds have no legal claim on offshore assets. They call them bonds, but any serious investor will tell you that they're more like senior equity. The real question here is to what extent China cares about burning offshore investors. It seems at the moment that she is more intent on punishing the wild developers than protecting offshore bondholders. Ashmore Group, BlackRock, UBS and HSBC are large owners of these dollar-denominated bonds. And recent news articles say that Goldman Sachs Asset Management have been buying, but I'm told not very much by people in the space. A lot of the investors who do hold these bonds will be rich Chinese people who hold dollar bonds in their offshore bank accounts or family offices. So it's not all foreigners that are involved. The Ministry of Housing and Urban Rural Development in China has instructed local subsidiaries across China to supervise funds for Evergrande's property projects in special escrow accounts. Under this oversight, the money must first be used for construction to ensure project delivery. So this possibly tells you where the focus is. Additionally, Beijing appears to have urged Evergrande's founder to help repay Evergrande's obligations with his personal wealth, limited liability being less of a thing in China. It's unclear, though, whether his fortune is big and liquid enough to make much of a dent in Evergrande's liabilities, which are over $300 billion. Bloomberg estimates his net worth at around $8 billion right now, but it may be significantly less. At the moment, Evergrande's dollar-denominated bonds are trading at deep discounts to par value, as investors brace for what could be one of China's largest ever debt restructurings. Now, obviously, the best way to deal with this sort of issue would be for Evergrande's founder to post a Twitter poll asking his followers if they think he should pay the bondholders or not. That's what Elon would do. But that doesn't seem likely at the moment. I don't even think this guy's on Twitter. Now, money is becoming harder to come up with for risky Chinese borrowers at the moment as the cost of borrowing has soared, fewer people are buying apartments, and the value of property in many Chinese cities is falling. Property companies have $40 billion of payments to make to foreign investors alone over the next two months, according to one estimate. While Evergrande is in a sticky situation right now, things only get worse next year. The company faces large principal repayments in March and April, and these will be much harder to meet than the interest payments that they've grappled with in the last few months. For the moment, they're likely just trying to buy time with the hope that the government in Beijing will loosen up a bit on the three red lines before it's too late. It's worth noting that Reuters is reporting that some offshore bondholders have not received interest payments that were due a few days ago on November 6th, issued by Scenery Journey Limited, which is a unit of China Evergrande Group. It's not clear right now what's happened with that payment, but the firm may already be in default. You probably noticed that a lot of the news flow around Evergrande died down after the company made a debt payment on October 22nd. 
But what we're seeing now is that Evergrande's financial problems have set off a broader panic that contributed to a wave of defaults amongst other developers, and their troubles do appear to be growing. Fantasia, Cynic and China Property Group have all defaulted on debts recently, and Kaisa just joined that list of developers on Friday. Kaisa, whose shares were suspended in Hong Kong on Friday, was the first Chinese developer to default on offshore debt back in 2015. Their bonds maturing next year are trading at 32 cents on the dollar. There are obvious worries that the financial issues faced by all of these developers are making home buyers even more reluctant to buy property in an economy where real estate has been a major driver for growth. Just recently, Evergrande announced that home sales had fallen by 97%. The fallout from this debt crisis has, up until recent days, been largely contained to junk-rated developers. But better quality borrowers, such as those in the technology and banking sectors, are now starting to see the sharpest debt sell-off since April, when fears of a liquidity crunch at Huarong ignited doubts over the level of support Beijing would offer to indebted state-linked firms. Sino-Ocean Group, which is part-owned by the finance ministry in China, has seen its bonds slump despite the firm being rated investment grade and that it holds more than 50 times the cash and cash equivalents of Evergrande. Chinese junk bond yields have been soaring over the last few months. Yields are now above 27%. What this tells you is that it's pretty much impossible for junk-rated Chinese companies to refinance their debts. And that then means that there are bankruptcies in the pipeline. The key questions here are which of these firms has sufficient liquidity to make it through and how much pain will the central government tolerate before easing credit conditions. Interestingly, a lot of smart investors are buying up Chinese government bonds right now, and this is based on a few things. They're trying to get ahead of any flight to quality, where as investors cut risk, they'll move to government bonds, a lot like what happened in the United States during the global financial crisis, where government bonds did quite well. They're also betting on the Chinese currency moving up based on trade flows and trying to get in front of a lot of sovereign wealth funds who are diversifying away from dollar and euro denominated bonds into Chinese government bonds, which are yielding two and a half to three percent. So let's get back to the Federal Reserve's concerns. To what extent would it matter if Evergrande collapsed? Well, when questioned about the Fed's warning in the Financial Stability Report, Jerome Powell dialed it back a little bit and said that the problems seem particular to China and that he didn't see a parallel with the US corporate sector. So it's possible that the Fed is just mentioning a risk, but they're not overly concerned. They did warn about meme stocks in the same report. The main worry that people have is if the Evergrande meltdown is China's Lehman moment. Right now it doesn't appear to be, mainly because the selling in China remains concentrated in the affected sectors. We're not seeing a broader panic. So what is China doing and what might they do going forward? Well, in recent years, Chinese authorities have attempted to control property price increases to avoid the risk of asset bubbles in a sector that accounts for the majority of household wealth in the country. This does not appear to have worked very well. 
Chinese property prices have rocketed over the period and homeowner debt is huge. Now that the real estate industry is contracting and developers are defaulting, officials in some regions appear to be acting to prevent price declines. A group of homeowners in Wuhan protested last month after a developer cut prices by 30% at a project where they had recently bought homes. In Hebei province, home prices had been rising near the site of the upcoming Winter Olympics, but have recently fallen, and so in September local authorities introduced rules citing double stability that prevented newly built homes from being sold for less than 85% of their original asking price. Historically, this type of price control has not worked and just causes markets to freeze up. The Chinese economy is doing all right at the moment, as China benefits from the demand created by government stimulus in the United States and around the world. Exports rose 27% last month, compared with a year earlier, marking the 13th straight month of double-digit growth. The contribution of the property sector to GDP growth in China is just too important for Beijing to ignore. We shouldn't expect to see bailouts of investors in dollar-denominated bonds, but we might see things like reserve requirements and mortgage rules being loosened in order to stimulate demand. Okay, so how likely are we to see this hit global markets? Well, a lot of course depends on how the Chinese government deals with these problems. China's real estate activity is slowing, the developers have large debts and some of them, like Evergrande, are diversified into other areas of the economy. They're not just property companies. A slowdown in China's housing market could lead to broader unemployment and a drop in the Chinese stock market. This could then spread through global trade channels and be bad news for the metals and mining complex internationally, as China is a huge buyer of commodities. If the Chinese property meltdown does cause a full-on recession in China, then US businesses with lots of Chinese exposure should get hit. We don't really need to worry too much, though, about global banks, as they have not been allowed much access to the Chinese market. In truth, the rest of the world is reasonably insulated from a Chinese slowdown, simply because China limits access to their markets. In the event of a big sell-off, you might even see investors move their money out of emerging markets and into the United States in a flight to safety. A credit event for Evergrande seems pretty much unavoidable. They have huge payments due, which they're unlikely to be able to meet. The extent to which we see international contagion will relate to whether Evergrande restructures or liquidates. Right now, uh, restructuring looks like the most likely outcome. Have a great day and talk to you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.